0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: And we pray, Father, that you would show yourself, be found. Come now, be in this place. Give life to us here. Be at work in our hearts and minds here. Draw us to You. And do something here, Father, I pray. Do something here in this time, in our hearts, in the midst of us here, that will affect out there forever. Father, we seek You. I pray that You be found and that You change us That we might be involved in helping other people to find you as well. That you would be found by others. That you would change them then and use them that others still might be found, might find you, might be changed. God, would you use us, would you use this time in our lives so as to change us by your Spirit, using your Word to make us different people, to grab a hold of your church and make us new, to open our eyes, change our perspective, and change the nations because of it. But I'm aware, even as I pray that, that it is a a prayer far far beyond what seems possible. That the nations would be changed by the next 45 minutes. What I simply ask you to do is exceedingly abundantly far more than I can ask or imagine. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. God began to make for Himself a people By calling out a man named Abram. While Abram still lived in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, God spoke to him and called him to leave his land and leave his family because he intended to give him a new land and make from him a new people. So he called him out and he made a covenant with him. And God said to him, this is in Genesis chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing to others. I will bless you and those who bless you and I will dishonor those who curse you and I will make in you all of the families of the earth to be blessed. Did you hear that? I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. In you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. The covenant with Abram. From the very beginning, God revealing something key, some, some large piece of His purposes for Him. To form from Him a people and then through Him to bless those out there. In the very beginning, that's what God's up to. and it's still what God is up to. Blessing His people so that they will be a Blessing. So we're going to consider today in Acts, in Acts, in Psalm 67. Though it's pretty close to the theme of Acts, is it not? The Bible holds together. We're in Psalm 67 though, this morning. We're coming near the end of our series in the Psalms. We've been here for about a month and a half looking at selected Psalms from between Numbers 42 and 72, the second book of the Psalter. And and commonly I've been touching on this theme of affliction and suffering seen that in a lot of places in the Psalms. And that's one of the reasons that God has given us the Psalms, to help His people when they're facing the troubles in life, to help His people to find an anchor for their souls, to find something to stand on, a rock of security, to connect them back to Him, to change them, to fortify them. We've seen repeatedly that He encourages His people to speak the truth to themselves. We've seen that a lot through the Psalms. And that's one of the main reasons that he's given us these inspired poems and and songs. But there are other purposes that he's given us, the psalms. To help inform our prayer life, for instance. To, in in a poetic way that kind of grabs at our hearts, to emotionally move us and change our perspective. To help us to express praise. Some of those purposes or what are emphasized today in our passage, Psalm 67. Psalm 67 itself does not really directly touch on the theme of affliction and suffering. 66 and 68, both of them right around it have these enemies that we've seen before that are afflicting the righteous man. The enemies show up again in those Psalms, and, and he deals with them there. But here in 67, there's a bit of a different theme here. Rather than looking at how God will deal with the enemies and rescue from the enemies and bring justice on the enemies, in Psalm 67, it's about how He's going to use the people of God to bless those who are the enemies and to draw them into happy, glad hearted worship of Him. So we get a different theme here in Psalm 67. Let me read the passage, then pass back through it to make some. Uh, key observations about the structure, and then we'll look at some overarching themes. I'm going to read Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth Fear Him. This passage is a prayer that is future-oriented. Notice that many of the verses have these repeated words of may or let, which is the language of petition. It's obviously talking about something that, from the perspective of the writer here in the Old Testament, is yet to come, but he's, he's hoping for it, praying for it, kind of reaching into the future, asking God to bring it about. Let this be the case, Lord. Make this happen. Bring about this sort of a world. It begins in verse 1 with a very familiar plea. This is the echo of the the blessing from Numbers chapter 6. God had told the priests in the line of Aaron to bless his people, to pronounce a blessing on them, which this passage echoes, verse 1. And a blessing essentially is a combination of, of an assurance to people and a prayer to God. It's an assurance God... As God has said to bless you in this way, God has said that he is going to work like this, and it's also a prayer, God, work like this. It's a combination of those two things. And here in verse 1, he's echoing this prescribed blessing, praying for it to come to pass. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, which sounds a lot like number 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God said in number six, in that way, when you put that blessing on them, in that way I put my name on my people. I put my being on my people and bless them. The psalmist wants that. That's what he's praying for. May that come to pass, God. Selah that musical poetic term that kind of makes us pause right there and hold and think for a second. We've seen it before, but it's a little odd here in that it's so early. There hasn't really been a lot to think about so far, only two lines. But there has been a lot to think about, the blessing of God. It's additionally odd, though, because it's actually mid-sentence. He cuts us off and makes us stop and think mid-sentence so as to kind of heighten something here. God, bring it to pass that your blessing would be on your people, that you'd be gracious to them and shine your face on them. Verse 2: so that, there's argument here, so that literally your salvation, your way, would rest on the nations. The Gentiles. It's a Jewish person writing a blessing of God on the Jewish people and he's asking God bring that to pass so that those ones out there, our enemies, would know your salvation. Not talking about the people of God, those out there. They don't know it yet. They are far away from you cut off from the covenant, cut off from the blessings. But Lord, bring it to pass that you would bless us in such a way that they will come to know it. That they will know your way. Do that. He isn't satisfied that only Israel know God's salvation. He wants the nations to know it too. And at that thought, he erupts in prayerful hope. Let the peoples plural. He's talking about people groups, nations still. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the the earth, let the whole globe erupt in worship of you. Verse 4, the center of this psalm, seven verses, four is in the middle, every other verse is two lines long, four is three lines long, and it Proceeds another one of the Selah's. So there is a lot of literary emphasis falling on verse 4. So you could underline it or star it or put it in bold. This is kind of his deal right here, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. The nations, those ones out there, not me and my people, us and no others. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God, bring it to pass. Bring it in one day that what erupts out of their hearts is glad-hearted celebration, God. For you judge the whole earth equitably, righteously, fairly, in justice. That is, parallel statement, you guide the nations upon the earth. To judge here is not, don't think like court of law, that he's sitting and passing a verdict. To judge is, think of rather the judges of Israel, the rulers of Israel, the whole, the whole book in the Old Testament about the judges. It's the leaders. God, you are the ruler, you are the leader of all of the earth in equitable nature, fairly, righteously, justly. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, seeing that, experiencing it. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 5, a a word-for-word repeat of verse 3. He really means it. Seven verses, two of them are identical. He really means it. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all of the peoples praise you. May every tongue and tribe and nation worship you, O God, and be glad in you. And he concludes verses 6 and 7 by looping back to his idea from verses 1 and 2. The blessing on the people of God resulting in the worship of the nations. He even echoes that blessing from Numbers again by three times repeating, God, 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 our God shall bless us, God shall bless us. Result, the ends of the earth will fear him. That is to reverence him, to worship him. Emphasis actually falls on ends of the earth as it's the last wording in the whole psalm. God, bring it to pass that you bless us, that you bless us, and the reverencing of you extends to the ends of the earth. Amen. That's his prayer. It's a song, it's a prayer, it's praise. It starts with the people of God. This this ancient well-known blessing, and then immediately moves to the outsiders, the Gentiles. And in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, every single line, nine lines in a row, has an explicit, jubilant, happy reference to Gentiles, to nations, to the peoples, which is saying something in the Psalter of Israel. The Song Book of Israel. Again, and 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 again, the nations. And then that's the closing note at the very end. The ends of the earth. That's what he's got his eyes on here. This is a missionary psalm. It's not a psalm about God bringing justice against the nations, but it's about bringing them into the joy that his own people already know. It's a, it's a psalm of jubilation. It's one of my favorite psalms. Again, it's another one of my favorite psalms. One of the benefits of doing a selective series is you get to cherry pick a little bit. But I love this one because I love the simple thrust of this very short passage. This is seven verses. It reads really quickly, and it's got a really simple thrust to it. Here's the main point. And I'm going to express it as a prayer. Because that's what the whole thing is. This is the prayer that should come out of our hearts too. Spoken to God. Bless us that the nations may be glad in you. Bless us that the nations may be glad in you. Those out there who are not yet a part of us, bring them in. Unite them to us and to you to their great joy and to your glory. Bless us for that end, Lord. That's his prayer. And I'm going to break that statement in half and make two observations. Start with the first half about God and us, the church. Here's the first point God graces believers so that the nations can be drawn to the gospel. God graces believers, He pours grace upon, He is gracious towards believers so that, there's a purpose here, so that the nations, the outsiders, can come and be drawn to the gospel. We see this in the bookends of the passage, in 1 and 2, in the relationship there, in 6 and 7. 6 and 7, we see that God is blessing, blessing, and the result is that the ends of the earth... Fear Him, it's tied together there at the end, and it's even more explicit in one and two. May God be gracious to us that your ways may be known on the earth. There's the point. God graces believers so that the nations can be drawn to the gospel. And I'm particularly using the word graces rather than blesses. Though I could use blesses. Blesses would be fine. It appears in verses 1, 6, and 7. That would be totally fine to use that word. But I'm using grace. It also appears in verse 1 because I want it to, to kind of turn us a little bit and help us think a little more accurately about what it means when God blesses and what it looks like in our lives. Because too often we associate the blessing of God on our lives only with certain types of good things or good events as defined from our perspective of what good is. In fact, the blessing of God on our lives is God doing something that is good for us, in us. If He gives something good to you, that's a blessing, even if on the front end it doesn't look so good. Think about this. I know a number of you guys are involved in debate in school. Very often you might think, or we might think, that what a blessing would be in, in debate is that I would do all my studying of my, of my various issues and I would remember all the details and I would express them clearly. I would be victorious and I would advance. That would be a blessing. And standing up in front of everybody and going blank and forgetting it all and being drummed out would be not a blessing. Maybe. Maybe. Or for adults out there, imagine some of us are applying for jobs, hoping that he would bless us by giving us this particular job. A blessing would be if he gave me that job. Not getting it would not be a blessing. Maybe. On the other hand, it might be the greatest blessing you ever had to not get that job. You don't know. What, What a blessing is, is what is good. God graces us. He blesses us. He shines His face upon us. If you're His child, if you're a Christian, He never curses you. He never turns against you. He never leaves nor forsakes you. All that He does towards you is the fulfillment of this blessing Prescribed by God back in the Old Testament, but prayed for by the psalmist here because he realizes that that blessing has not yet fully come to pass. We've been pronouncing it for centuries, but God pours cursing on this people sometimes. God, in fact, turns his face away from and rejects this people sometimes. God, would you bring in the time, in the future, at one point, would you bring it in Bring in that place where all you do towards this people is grace them and bless them and shine your face on them in approval. Bring that to pass. He has now on you in Christ. That time has come. In the words of Romans 5:2, through Christ we have obtained access by faith, not by works. Faith has put us in a place where we stand in grace. Always. No matter what, you stand in grace. The passage continues. And so we rejoice, even in sufferings, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Because what Christ has done on the cross... If you're a believer, you stand right now in grace. Verse 1 is true of you all the time, period. He is gracious to you, blessing you in everything, shining His face upon you in approval. He's been gracious to you in physical and temporal ways. You have life. You draw breath. You have a mind that works, a body that functions in different ways, to different degrees for all of us at different times, of course. But That's a blessing. The fact that we have food and shelter, countless blessings, most of which we take for granted, perhaps pausing to say thanks a couple times a day right before we eat. The blessing, the physical and tangible blessings on our lives, brothers and sisters, are incalculable. We don't know the number of them, nor the depth of them, nor the breadth of them. That's just the physical and the tangible blessings, the way that He prospers us with the stuff that we can touch. But far above that, on top of all that, your spirit is alive in Christ. If you're a Christian, You have a new life that is entirely a work of sovereign grace. In grace, by the decision of God, He created a plan of salvation. We didn't make that up. He did. And then He brought word of it to you. And then He opened your eyes by grace so that you would see it. Gave you faith that you would believe it. And then gives you His Spirit so that you can walk in it. Grace. From start to finish, he has united you with Christ, broken the powerful grip that sin had on you. You used to be under the dominion of sin, that is, you had a ruler that did nothing but seek your destruction. And he broke that and gave you a new master, a new judge and then power to walk in Him, in His ways. He set you free, and you stand there forever. You are His friend, though you were His enemy. He's actually promised you an inheritance of vast proportions in the future, given you a down payment on it now with the Spirit living in you, changing everything about you. He has indeed been gracious to you, blessed you, caused His face to shine upon you, Man, it is sweet to be you if you're a Christian. He has a whole dump truck full of blessings. He's backed up into your yard and just poured it all out. You don't even have enough place to put it all. Worship should rise up in your heart as you think some of these things through. Be glad yourself. Be full of joy yourself. All of this He has done for you by placing you in Christ. He has blessed you. Be thankful for that and be very careful. We have to be careful here because the tendency in us, often unwittingly, the tendency in us in all of life is when we get some comprehension of the way that God has graced us, and I'm trying to help some of these things trigger thoughts in your minds and to give you some comprehension of the way that he has graced you, but our tendency is as soon as we get some little picture of what we do is we, we throw our arms around it and we pull it in and we hold it right here and look down at it and get all wrapped up in it with no thought of how it affects anything out here. We do that in all of life we take good things to us, we pull them in, and we say, mine. At least I do. Recently, I'm, in a congregational meeting, I made a comment about how much I like a particular type of coffee. And several of you very kindly gave me bags of that coffee. Three or four of you did. Which was nice. And now I have a cupboard full of coffee. And a few days ago, Another person gave me another bag of the same coffee. I have a whole cupboard full of it at home. Gave me the bag of this coffee, and I thought, oh, mine. (laughs) Two minutes ago, I had no idea I was going to receive this, and now it's mine. And I immediately had an opportunity to give it away. And what's going through my mind? Mine. I'm going to run out of that coffee eventually. I mean, I'm going to work through it all in a few months. And then I'm going to need more, and here it is, so I better have this. I'll have to put it on the fourth shelf, but I I need it. It's mine. Somebody gave it to me, not to you. I gave it away, grudgingly. Sin in me. I see the blessing that comes to me, and I do not even want to use it to bless those out there. Contrast that with another a man that I know who has a, a, a lucrative career and his income comes to him throughout the year in a steady flow and then big chunks. Steady flow, chunk. So he has an income, but then he receives abundant piles of income and he was telling me once that he and his wife have come to realize that when they receive a chunk of income that's god's sign that some ministry somewhere needs a chunk of income and so they receive a chunk of income and they immediately he and his wife together immediately begin to pray lord what is it which one is it open our eyes so that we can see it or them if there are a couple Give us wisdom so that when it comes along, we're receiving constantly stuff in the mail, we see stuff at church all the time, but which one are we supposed to give this money to? And also give us wisdom as we sort through, like how much of it should we set aside to supplement the comparatively smaller income throughout the rest of the year, or to support the other things that we're already a part of. Give us wisdom as to how to sort this all through. But their whole perspective is not this, it's we've received something that's passing through to somewhere where? Which one of those is you? You have to see this. You must see the logic in verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7. He's doing something here. He is gracing us so that the nations can come face to face with the gospel. I was tempted to express this point He graces believers in large part so that the nations can be brought to the gospel. Because I wanted to include another truth, and there is a truth here. I wanted to include another truth that sometimes he just blesses his people to bless his people because he loves his people. That's true too. And I wanted to express that. And then as I thought more about it, I realized that's not what Psalm 67 says. To put it like that would be to blunt the force of one and two. It does not say, may God be gracious to us in part so that your way may be known in the Earth. Or in large part, it just says, "God, would you bless us so that this can happen?" The, other, the other's true, too. It is true that He blesses us to bless us. That's true. That's not what he's saying here. He's got an eye on the nations nine times: nations, 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 nations. That's what his eye is on. Realize that. Realize what it means. It means people not in our circle that don't like us right now. People that it's kind of hard to get along with. Not just my family, you know, my, my coffee example is flawed there, and that I ended up passing it on to somebody else that I already get along with. Not somebody who hates me. Remember, Jew-Gentile relations here are not amicable. The nations are people out there. And that's who God has in view. Realize that. God, give grace to us is the prayer that they may come to know your salvation. That's the point. And it's not just about your money. It is about your money. But it's about all of the ways that God has graced us. It's everything that, because he is constantly, 100% of the time, looking on you in favor, he is gracing and blessing you in a thousand ways. And all of what that makes you has a purpose. Them. Have you ever thought about, maybe some of you have, but have you ever thought about your children, if you're an adult with, with kids, your children a blessing to you for them. We can think about our money. That one's a little harder, I think. What would it mean if you thought like that? Like, my children have been given to me for them. Well, that means that I should be somehow preparing these ones for this. Now, there's a lot of application to that. How do you do that over the course of 20 years? Well, there's a lot of things you could do. But you won't do any of them if you don't have the mindset. That's one of the graces that God has given you if you're a parent. But all of us, we have things that make up our lives, our, our minds, our unnatural abilities, our spiritual gifts. The place that you are in life, the school you go to, the job you have, God's blessing on you for them. For you and for your family too, yes. But the point here this morning is for them. You've got to see that. And we must repent of the self-focus that does this. Calls for repentance, brothers and sisters, because it's sin. May Psalm 67, somehow these couple of verses... Break something in you. Explode the self-focus, the nearsightedness, the small view of life, wherever it is in your life, however it holds you. May it break something in you and cause you to see a bigger picture. May God be gracious to you and bless you and cause His face to shine upon you in that way this morning. He graces believers that the nations may be drawn to the gospel, not just those who are already close to us, but those who are far away. It would be too small of a thing for the Messiah to be sent only to call in the remnant of Israel. God says in Isaiah 49, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's in Isaiah, that is in Acts, and that's right here too in in verse 2. See this. It calls for a perspective change and a pattern of life living that says what I have is not just for me, it's for them, even those who don't like me right now, that they may be brought to the gospel. That's the first observation. But it begs the question, why should they be drawn to the gospel? Why does God want to draw him to the gospel? In some ways, I I think that would be entirely obvious. But it's helpful to look at how the psalmist expresses it. So that's the second observation. He's focus on the gospel and its spread because, here's the second observation, the gospel brings about the exaltation of God and the gladness of the nations. That's how those things come about. The gospel brings about the exaltation of God with an A this time, exaltation with a U last week. Exaltation with an A is a lifting up. It brings about the exaltation of God and the gladness of the nations. God's top two goals which are actually one and the same. Two things, God's exaltation, gladness of the nations, they're identical. Same thing. Look at how he brings this about, starting in verses 3 and 5. The nations in verse 2 learn of salvation, they learn of the, of the way, and what happens? They come to believe and they erupt in praise, 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 four times in those two verses. The worship of God coming out of the nations, out of people who didn't know him before, the erupting in praise, which is exactly what he's after, his own exaltation, the worship of himself, which isn't vain, it isn't sinfully egotistical. When when we do it it is. If I, I mean, it's almost ludicrous to think, if I were to say what I'm about is my own exaltation and your worship of me. You have to smile, it sounds so stupid. I Maybe mean, it's that's a bad word, sorry. It, it, it sounds so crazy that I would actually say that. Well, God says it everywhere. Why is it a problem for me? It's a problem for me to say it because I am not more important than you. I am not elevated above you. So, to desire that I be elevated above you and that you worship me is sin. It's wrong. For God, it's just honesty. He is better than you and me and all of us. He is above us. What he's just saying is realize the truth. In fact, he has to say that and still be honest. I mean, if he's not going to be a liar, he has to say, Worship me. Don't worship anything else. It's just right. And it is thoroughly good and loving. It is the most loving thing that He can do, it is the best thing that He can do because that is also what makes us glad. His exaltation is what fills the human heart with joy. He says, let the peoples praise you, let all the peoples praise you, and then right in the middle, verse 4, the oomph of the psalm. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. When they sing in joyous praise, what's their attitude? Grudgingly frustrated at being manipulated into paying homage to this powerful, egotistical God? No, of course not glad and filled with joy. This is their delight. To erupt in praise of this God is their delight. It's what joys them, fills them with pleasure, and honors God. It's the same thing. This kind of dynamic works in lots of places in life. You go to a restaurant. You go to a restaurant. You have a thoroughly enjoyable meal. You you have a a nice time. It's a great atmosphere. You you just love it. What do you do? You walk out and you sing the praises of that restaurant to everybody you run into. You go and, and you talk to your friends and your family and you tell about how great it is and the result is that the restaurant is exalted in their eyes, lifted up in their eyes as you experienced the goodness of it. The restaurant honored your joy Same thing. You gladly praise it to everyone you know. The glory of the restaurant is in the joyful praise of satisfied diners. Every business owner knows that. That's why they try to satisfy their customers. Every business owner knows that. The glory of God is in the joyful praise of satisfied diners. Those who pull up a chair and say, At this restaurant, God's restaurant, what I found there was rich food and drink that quenched the thirst. Psalm 63. It was awesome. Like I've never eaten anywhere else and I've looked far and wide. This is the best place I've ever been. You have to go. Oh, you have to go. And God is honored out of your delight. It's the same thing. But what is there to praise God for? What's on the menu that's so good? What are you singing about when you're praising? That's the second half of verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for... You judge the peoples with equity. Guide the nations of the earth. He says, oh, let this come to pass that you, God, are experienced as the equitable ruler of the earth, the supreme one who reigns in justice. God reigns right now. God is just right now. God's in charge of everything right now as it stands. But the nations don't know it. And he longs for the day when every tongue and tribe and people and nation will taste and see that the Lord is good. That they will experience His reign. That there will be a time when they will partake of God on His throne bringing justice. Can you imagine the world where God reigns and there is no more evil at all? No sin. Zero pain and hurt and loss. Would that not be good? Would that not make you glad? Would that not make you want to just shout hallelujah? Finally, He wants that day to come. And in its fullness, it's still in the future. But in Christ, right now, you can experience a little bit of the reign of God in your heart. The kingdom is now within. You individually, if you're a Christian, you've experienced this. Given the Spirit's reign in you, given His liberating you from that dominion of Satan, He has brought you into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The Son He loves, who then pours on us His love. Looping back to the Romans 5 passage, He has poured His love into our hearts by the Spirit. You experience the nature of God ruling over you right now. You experience joy right now, justice right now. You can see it with your mind's eye. It's still coming. It's come a little bit right now. May the nations know that. And may you bring in the day one day when it it covers the whole earth. God, may that be the case. That would be gladness and joy indeed. The glory of God in the gladness of the nations. Comes about, those two things, the glory of God and the gladness of the nations, comes about when the nations hear the gospel, believe it, and come under His dominion, which is good, right, holy, pure, soul-satisfying. That's what the psalmist hopes for. Obviously, there's also an implied call here. To all of those out there, maybe some right here. Do you want to be glad? Do you want to be glad? Do you want to have living in you some engine that constantly produces peace, even though turmoil? Rejoicing, even though suffering? Gladheartedness, though sorrow? Do Do you want to be glad? Here's where it's found. Under the reign of a good God that comes by the way of salvation that is in Christ. And that's the only way that it comes. There is one way to know the reign of the good God by trusting Christ. Come. That's that's the implied call here to you. But obviously the, the, the audience for this is the people who are already on the inside. What is it poking at us for, about? Well, it's calling us to to live in a way where we see that what we've been given is for something beyond us. It's also calling us to, to pray in a certain way. God, here's my resources for this. Bring it to pass. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray like that. Psalm 67 implies, pray like that. Living that His way may be known on earth, that the nations may be glad. Praying fervently that the kingdom would come. Rejoicing in God now, and having a heart for those that are out there. That's clearly what He's trying to get at with us. It's not complicated, but it's hard because we are prone to do this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and shine His face upon us today to change your perspective on the things that He's given you and to change your perspective on those who are out there still. They're not your enemies to be defeated They are the nations to be made glad. We are to carry the gospel to them towards that end. Bless us, Lord, that the nations may be glad in you. Let me pray. Father, that's my prayer, that you would bless us that you would grace us some today from this passage, from this time, that there would be a significant change that happens in our hearts, in my heart, in the lives of my brothers and sisters here, that we would begin to see those out there as people that you want to make glad, as people that you want praise from. Work that change in us, I ask you, Father, by your Spirit, to the glory of your Son. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.